0: Good evening, I'm Ted Koppel. Surely everyone knows by now that Buckwheat is dead. But for those of you who have not seen the videotape of Buckwheat being shot, let's take a look. World Heavyweight Championship, you came down to help your brother Kevin, and the second one the Texas Heavyweight Championship with you and gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. Now, I know you were concerned about uh, Kevin, but uh, did you kind of lose your cool when um, Harley
1: Race interfered? Of course I did, Bill. Now, now, first off, you know how the brothers are. We're, we're the tightest family I've ever seen in my life. We're, we're together. I don't want to see him get hurt. I saw him holding that shoulder. I
0: knew
2: there was something wrong, so I went out there.
0: All right, now let's look at the... Uh, go back to the tape of that and look at just what happened when you did that. That sounds good to me. Now, get the Texarkana and back in 28 hours. That's no problem. It ain't never been done before, hot shit. Watch your language, little lady. The problem is and Coors beer. You take that east of Texas and that's, uh, that's
1: bootlegging. Ty Webb. Heavy Longmire. Gustave Maté Blanc.
0: is GLK London transmitting on the short wave band on 10.4 meters at a frequency of 250 megacycles per second. This is GLK London transmitting on the short wave band on 10.4 meters at a frequency of 250... 200- can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Come on then, Plato. Enlighten me.
1: My kid said something stupid the other night, or, or said something he didn't know what it meant the other night. All right. light on me. My two boys and my, my daughter there were in the living room, and we're playing Xbox or something. Probably having to play Minecraft. Not by choice, but, you know, this is what kids do. And Putting so other
2: potions and the like,
1: something like that, building things. And yeah. so I, I yelled "what" or something like that as a joke, like "what," and then what they all kind of started mimicking it, chiming "what, what, what," and my oldest goes "what," and I just stop and look at him because he doesn't have any clue that he's just said you know a slang for for something else, and I'm like, "you don't need to say that." Well, then he starts giggling because he. Maybe he did know. Right. I don't know at this point. You know, he's been in public school for about a year from junior <laughs> high. And I don't know how common twat is in the vernacular of a 903 junior high. In 2017. In 2017. I know that we certainly knew what it was. Right. But I, I don't know about now.
2: I think he knows, but he's got enough big enough case that he can just claim some innocence at that age. So anyway, I had
1: to, you know, don't say this to all of them. And I'm going to pause it until... Our guest, a story off air, Okay. so we're going to join back in just a second. All right, so we're back. If you want to hear that, you'll have to find us at a live event, and I'll tell you about that story. Anyway, we've got our friend Jay back with us. Good to be here again. Thank you. Thank Hello. Thank you for there, coming Jay. again Hello. all the way to the Heavy Longmire Sauna Studios. Yeah, it's,
2: it's amazing here.
1: Quite a setup. We've, thank uh, you. Thank you. We've got some other po- folks that have expressed an interest to guests with us. Yeah. But I have warned them they may want to wait till it's cooler, cooler weather, cooler weather before they yeah. join us. Cause we do, I'm not knocking it cause my studio would be less than this. Yeah. Because it would be a barn full of junk, whereas this at least is in civilization, All right? And is concrete as concrete floor. As a concrete yeah. floor. And uh, so I'm not knocking it, but it is a little warm today. Yeah, it is. But I've brought some ice cold refreshments. They're delicious. I, I appreciate it. Based a whole movie on it.
2: <laughs>
1: Smokey and the Bandit. They did. Yeah. Movement yeah. cores. Mm-hmm. I still don't understand that. I mean, maybe I don't understand. Beer laws of nineteen seventy six or whatever. I don't know why it was like that. But that's the way it was. Right, but they couldn't ha-
2: take it across state lines. This I don't know. You couldn't.
1: You could not sell
3: for the longest time. You you couldn't. They couldn't sell Coors outside of the state of Colorado, and then you could not. But then they. I think they made the law to where states that touched Colorado could sell it.
2: Okay. But do you, you could,
1: show? Do you show it on the on the map where it touched? But you couldn't. <laughs> Point to it. Point to the doll to where it, it touched where,
2: me. Where Colorado touched you. Right.
1: But then,
3: uh, but it had to be, you know, contiguous. Contiguous states. That's
2: not where Four Corners Brewery came from. You know, I don't know what the name, but, you know, there's so many damn
1: breweries now. I think they just pull, it's like naming a podcast. You just come just up anything. with something stupid. Yeah. And then you Some might not even know name, what you really named yeah, it. Yeah. Some guys that name
3: scratch off tickets.
1: Yeah. You have to it's change just, it down the road. I bought us a, a Powerball ticket. Did you? How about, so that maybe, what's it up we, to? I don't know, like two or three hundred million or something like that. So maybe we oh, could. Yeah? uh Maybe at the time that this was recorded, maybe we could go put podcast full time. All right. Cool. How about that? Let me know how that turns out. Yeah. Well, just buy one. Yeah. You cheap ass. Wow. Yeah. That's. I mean, this is not you know financial planning at the dirt track. There's no, no need to okay. buy more than one. It doesn't really change your odds that much. Anyway, this is can you hear me? The podcast doubles your odds. No, it I'm doesn't. Sure. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> Probability does not work that way, sir. <sighs> <laughs> we know that heavy is not a high school math teacher. Well, maybe I'm he's a not high school- a
3: mathematician.
1: Maybe you are a high school math teacher. I don't know. Yeah, we had a high school math teacher. I don't know if you ever had him. No, he had a, uh, an interior room, so no windows. Brilliant man, super nice man, but he was a little bit different. And you could ask him if it was hot to turn on the ceiling fan that didn't exist. And he'd go to turn it on. And he would climb up on a chair and pull it. Or you could ask him to open up the window, and he would go open up the imaginary window. This guy sounds awesome. He was great. The
3: one thing, I never had him, but I can remember my freshman year, in between classes. No eating on the air. Him standing outside his classroom and pretend bowling down the hallway. All oh, right. You remember that? I
1: yeah, I, I remember various, you know, halt between class activities. Yeah. It was all a bit obviously he oh, didn't, yeah. you know, believe any of that. Right. But he had to a, engage with the young He had a very youngsters. dry sense of humor, but he had a sense of humor, but it was just on his own level. Right. But that was great. You're like, you know, hey, it's getting a little hot in here and he would, you know, take action. Taught us algebra, algebra yeah. 2. My other algebra teacher threw a five-gallon pickle bucket at somebody in class. She was she, not one to
3: suffer fools. She threw a desk in my class one time.
1: We had to have five-gallon pickle buckets to catch the water dripping from the ceiling during the rainy season
2: in the yeah. schoolhouse. In house. the schoolhouse, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Nineteen seventy-two architecture was not at the high point in the nine hundred three when Is they. It
2: a thatch roof.
1: You know, it was very modern at the time, but it was built like shit because it was 1972 and the 903, and there were probably kickbacks like you wouldn't believe. Oh, I imagine! But uh, yeah, there was always water dripping in our uh, in our the spring. High it
3: was hard to walk down the hall because of all the pickle wow. buckets. Yeah, out That's... in the hallways. Wow,
1: Can't ceiling tiles ti- ceiling tiles would fall in. Uh-huh. It, it was a uh, it was a problem, and that school is is still in use right now.
2: Hmm.
1: And that's been twenty five years. So yeah, yeah. Wow. they they had a they had a part of it that Ty likes to whisper the name of every once in a while. I won't say it because it, it's indicative of the place, but it fills up full of water. You know, about every
3: four years,
1: and it rained a lot more back. It's then. It's sunken.
3: Okay, so it's you know real cool. You know, it was seventies, so like sunken living rooms okay. and all that yeah. kind of stuff yeah. were yeah. cool. This was like a sunken amph- amphitheater. Right. But every four years, it fills up about eight foot full of water. Yeah. <laughs> and has since it was built. Yeah. Wow. I just throw some sump pumps off in there. Yeah,
2: I guess so. Drain it out.
1: And, you know, the soil in the 903, maybe you don't know. The soil in the 903 is not friendly to anything built underneath ground level because it's clay. Yeah. And it, you know, it doesn't Spans do and well. Contracts and right. And it's just a, not a, a friendly thing. And then they built
2: that, they dug, you know,
1: I don't know, a couple hundred square feet underground, and he didn't like it. The 903 rejected it.
2: That clay will expand or retract or disappear on you without any warning.
1: Clay right. will disappear on you like a ghost. <laughs> I heard the ghost of Clay talking about how he didn't have a, a Twitter account anymore. I'm still not sure he doesn't. Uh, I don't know.
2: Still trying to figure out who that ticket egg is. Ticket, oh. egg,
1: ticket Egg's younger than us. Think so? Yeah. And I realize the Dead, cl- saying, the dead Clay is, yeah, us. everybody's younger than us. But the Dead Clay, I, I just think the Ticket Egg's early 20s is what I think. Fair I enough. could be wrong. And the Ticket Egg does listen to this. So the Ticket Egg will be punching his proverbial dash, I guess. <laughs> he's like 59. Ah, he's Yeah, no, he's got to be. But hey, you know what? If somebody thought I was in my early 20s, I'd be like, yeah, hell yeah, all right. But... We know I'm not. I'm the oldest one here since Ty's not here. Yep. Had one last month, didn't you? No, not yet. Not yet. My fake birthday is uh somewhere around now. Yeah. By okay. the time this airs, somewhere around okay. now. I moved my fake birthday. The other day, Tam was getting excited because she looked on Facebook and saw my birthday. It was her birthday. I'm like, no, nah, I move my fake birthday around <laughs> every year. Sorry. Gotcha. So maybe it is, maybe it didn't. I don't know. Gotcha. Tam and I are the uh, wonder twins when it comes to thinking alike. It's very scary at times. Same. A female version of me is a scary thing. Yeah. Imagine that. Don't want to. Except I would be, if I was a female, I would look like the youngest daughter on the Waltons, Elizabeth. Never
3: watched the Waltons.
1: That's a reference just for you. If Ty would get it if he was here, she wasn't good looking, okay? Okay. Red-headed and not very attractive.
2: I didn't want to jump to that
1: conclusion. You know, there were a couple of Walton girls you, you would, but The youngest one, you wouldn't. I was never, never interested in the Waltons. It's not bad. I stand by. Right, I'd watch Waltons right now. Really? Yeah. It had Grandpa from the Bearclaw from Jeremiah Johnson. I know. I just, it's good. I was all. It's good. We Christian. watched Little
2: House on the Prairie. I would, oh, yeah. I
1: would take a beating before I'd watch Little House on the Prairie. I was yeah. forced
2: to watch episode after episode of that in syndication as a kid. My no, mom no. loves that show. Yeah. Waltons is good,
1: Christian, hard-working, poor people in the Depression. I mean, Trump voters. You know what? I take umbrage to that. <laughs> All right? I'm sure that they voted... For uh, FDR.
3: Oh, Depression Era, yes, they, yes. I'm sure they did.
1: I don't like your, uh, you're trying to paint the Waltons as yeah. something that they're not. No. Yeah, All right. it's,
2: it's Depression Era, not just things that are depressing.
1: Gotcha. So, um, don't help him. Misunderstood. I
2: mean, that would be Ty's job to encourage
3: you. I misunderstood the uh, context of your sentence.
2: Did I'm I
1: ever sorry. finish our introductions? I don't think so. All right, no. this is Can You Hear Me, the podcast of three guys talking about stuff. Ty Webb is still not here. Again, he sent us a text about paperwork that he had to do. I'm sure that involves filing and co- correlating, and I don't know, doing some spreadsheets. If you get well, my dread, my my yeah. drift, spreading sheets, yeah, you know, pulling them back, put them right. But we have Jay Cranfield with us, and thank you, sir.
2: Thanks for having me again. I just
1: now noticed your shirt between uh, a moment ago, and I want to tip my hat to that.
2: Yeah, I, ha- I haven't
3: noticed it either. It's very... I thought this was
2: uh, appropriate as it being our all of our leaders' uh, birthday recently. Jake's birthday today. Yeah, well, well, yeah. well pull yeah. back the curtain too far. Back recently, the recently, right. he had a
1: birthday. I think everybody knows that we record in sessions where we do multiple episodes. So, yeah, when we recorded this, it was Jake Kemp's birthday, and Jay uh, Jay's shirt says "Space is super gay." With a spaceman on it, where a did picture you get that of an shirt? astronaut?
2: I ordered this off of Their, the uh, same. It, it wasn't it wasn't dot It was a different one that they used. To, I had to order another one. You order him. It from Korean Painter? No, I wouldn't. I'd only order him to be killed. Um, <laughs> I got a Groove shirt. He's right. playing the guitar. It says Shoopy on it. Yeah. I've had this forever, and I just dug it out of the closet. That's awesome. Today. That's great. I did wear this one time. I think I shared the story last time I was on about I was with a group of people that got kicked out of the El Dorado Casino in Shreveport because a buddy of mine got right. so drunk he fell into a trash. Can oh yeah. In the bathroom. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wearing this shirt on that day, and I got some real weird looks from some of the dealers. They would look across and like read and read my right. shirt out loud, and they kind of look at me like, "What? What are you having against space?"
1: Right. <laughs> you know, I've been going back and listening to the old IJBs from the start. Because I didn't listen early on. It wasn't until a couple of years ago before I started listening to him. And it's fascinating to hear that, you know, because we all heard the audio of that, but to hear it and then how it affected young Jake and the angst that it caused him and everything, because he was really unhappy about it and being painted as the angsty millennial that's, you know, just anti everything. Right. And at the same time, TC is throwing bombs every episode that are far more uh, inflammatory and everything, and Jake's just frustrated because nobody's paying attention to that. So <laughs> it's great. That, that's a great shirt. If you'll notice, uh, I also have a Spaceman on me. Oh, I've got yeah. a Saroy Life Helmet shirt. Ah, I was I looking that. at that a while ago trying to figure out what that was. Yeah, okay. That is Saroy. Mike Saroy is a Spaceman. So how uh, What are the odds? in sync we are. Right. And of course, Heavy is wearing, as he always does... His world-class championship <laughs> wrestling shirt of the lost episode fame of the county fair. Yep. Damn. It's not going to come off right
3: now. Yeah.
2: So which Dead Von Eric is featured on that shirt?
1: Uh David.
2: David.
1: Yeah. The Yellow Rose. The Yellow Rose.
2: Japan drug overdose, right?
1: So they say. So they say. In fourth grade, when that went down, the rumor around our elementary school was that the Freebirds... Or behind is the freebirds had him killed were. and with maybe the great Kabuki. Man, I, you know, because he was from parts unknown.
2: Yes. It's true. So he could have taken him and dumped the body anyway. But yes, no. it
1: was, it, it was, it was the freebirds
2: behind it. And then later
1: on, it was appendicitis. You know, what? I actually did hear that. And I think that may have been the official story. Yeah. yeah.
3: You know, and I was reading something recently within the last year or so that it, I think they settled on. Some kind of gastrointestinal something, like bad something, that I think did rupture right. his appendix. <clears throat> well, you know... and But everything was inflamed, so it was like he got some kind of bacteria over there. Speaking of that, I started to call on your assistance this week, Sir Gus. My wife had traveled out of the country.
1: As I had been paying attention to, yes. Last week. Wondering about what heavy alone for a week meant. Lots of sleep, lots of pizza, lots of X hamster. No, no. Is your tea getting I low?
3: I s- started Ozark on Netflix. I've been, I haven't it's started good. yet. It's good. I'm it's a Bateman good.
1: fan. Yeah,
3: I, I like that. But anyway, she returned to the states with a little, uh, an extremely sick woman. A little Montezuma's revenge.
1: Oh no, not uncommon. Not uncommon. Right.
3: That's what I told her. Not uncommon. Well, she had had, had it from the start. About two days into her trip, okay. About about the time it would take, sure. And still going. And so I'm like,
1: this might. She may not need just a, be a coli. This might be like it's, Giardia. Or oh yeah, something. she may need a flagell or, or some other type of uh, and anti parasitic. So
3: I did every nine oh three home remedy I could. The
1: camphophenique did not help.
3: Campho. She wouldn't swallow it. <laughs> so I sent her down to the doctor. Right. And, uh,
1: cussing the whole time. Of course, you, they, not her.
3: Of course, you know, they want samples. Of course. All that good stuff. And, uh, we still have not found out exactly what it is.
1: Well, which... how long, how long did she deliver the sample? Well, it's not solid. It was no, diarrhea. I mean, no, I know what it is. It I'm saying, when did she, when did she submit the sample? How long, many days ago was Yesterday. It? Oh, shit. It's going to take no pun. It's going to take several days to do an O&P. Well, if it's a parasite, they should be able to look it up right then, you know, look
3: it cuz that's what I told her. I said, "Hey, okay, let's, per, okay I, first I, I, off, this is what I try to get her to
1: do. He doesn't understand how an O&P works, but okay, go ahead."
3: I said, "Just kind of scrape some off in this mayonnaise lid. I'll go up to Gus's. I'm sure he's got a microscope. Microscope I do in, have. in the barn. I do. He can do a I, I don't. Make a little slide out I don't of have
1: the chem, yeah. I don't have the chemicals
3: right now to do an OMP. and And he can slap it under the microscope. We can figure out what this critter is. Some seven dust will probably fix it.
1: No, it's going to take a couple of days because most places send those out. Yeah, to a I know nowadays lab. that's the way all that and, works. And you know, it's going to be a matter of they'll get to it because you know it's just a. It's not one of those tests that people do stat. Right. So it'll be a couple of days, and they'll look at it and see it, and they're they're going to look for either the eggs mm-hmm. or the actual parasite themselves. And some of them, it's easier to spot the eggs than the parasite and stuff. Right. But yeah, they'll do that. They'll do a stool culture. They'll do a, a C difficile. It'll take it'll take a couple of days for the stool culture, and it'll take a couple of days for them to do the OMP. P. So you should know something probably Monday or Tuesday. Yeah. But I, you know, I had her convinced. I was like, it's just
3: just uh-huh. a little E. coli. It'll be all right. Yeah. Well, it, a,
2: a
1: little E. coli is not something just to right. uh, turn your nose up at. You.
3: Well, then it sh- she got in her head as a
1: parasite, and I was like, "Yeah, possible. It could it's be. Highly.
3: Could be. Could be some Giardia."
1: Oh, it could be some crazy stuff.
3: Yeah, she went down to Central America.
2: Okay, I, I didn't couldn't remember if you said that if you said yeah. Mexico or if you specified. I down down remember a guy America. Okay.
1: had gone to a semester abroad or a term abroad in China, mm. and not like Beijing, China, like. Backwater China. Out in
3: the country China.
1: And came back with literally a gut full of Ascaris worms. Oh. Now, these are worms like you and I would go dig up to go fishing. Yeah. And they were all full in his colon. Uh. And the sample of that literally was a Tupperware container Full of live worms. What Ivamec? Is that how you clear that up? I, in humans, I don't think it'd be Ivamec, but it would be an anti-flagellate, uh, or actually, a, I can't remember what it would be. But anyway, yeah, it's and it's heavy-duty stuff. Right. You know, when you start getting into getting
3: him the, on his hands and knees and just pour Ivamec over his spine. Oh, Is that how that you works? Got
2: the, you got the caulking gun. <laughs> so how do you, how do you get something like that? Is that through the water supplies? It could be food? water. It could be eating.
1: It could be soil, soil contact. Like kids that like, well, okay. So pinworms, pinworms. Okay. Now, pinworms were a real constant worry of my crazy grandmother when I was a kid. Yeah. Then at night, the worm comes out the rectum for a little fresh air. So to prove that the kid has pinworms, you put a piece of scotch tape across their butthole, and the worms come out at night. I don't know why not,
2: <laughs> How do they but know?
1: they know. Kind of like cockroaches. They they have a a circadian or you know circadian rhythm. Yeah, they come out and get stuck to the to the and maybe it's just because that's the only time you probably get the kid to be still. I don't know. Maybe that's, that's true too. that may be yeah. it, but. They come out and they get stuck to the scotch tape and they call it a scotch tape prep. That's the, you know, the... The clinical the, the term. clinical yeah, term. You the don't just put some tape on that kid's bun hole, yeah. you know. But, uh, yeah, you could get it through skin contact. You could get it through water. You could wow. get it, you know, malaria is transmitted from a mosquito bite. True. So that parasite and, you know, that's one of those And things, pinworms
3: is mainly through cat feces, right?
1: No, that's uh, Toxoplasma gondii. Okay. Which I was listening to an old IJB. And um they talked about it. You know, that's what there's some thoughts that that helps that that particular parasite has a correlation possibly with schizophrenia outbreak in the late 20th century as cats become more prevalent in the home huh. ver- versus just being barn cats. There is there's conjecture about that. I don't think there's ever been a definitive oh, study proving that, but there's some hypothesis that really cats weren't common in the homes and and the it definitely makes rats and mice go crazy in real life so it's that a parasite that does the parasite does so it's a fascinating thing so the parasite itself it wants cats to as part of its life cycle but other animals can get it and if a rat a rodent gets it it actually causes the rodent to act erratically and make it easier to be caught by cats huh Wow. And so then the cat ingests as so the, the parasite. So the cat can able to get it, and then the cat... Yeah. And then it closes up the... So it's one of those things where in, as far as human contact, it's in the cat feces. Okay. So if you are in a... Even with the litter box in a clean home, you probably don't have much of a risk for it. But if you're a hoarder... Yeah. And with a hundred and something cats right. in there... But then at that point, maybe there already are, you know, it's, it's, there's no doubt that you can look at it and make a case that maybe there's something to that. Yeah. yeah. Chicken or the egg. Yeah. Type I don't know if it's ever been established, hmm. but there's definitely some things. And when people start talking about the rise of schizophrenia and, you know, that's not my area of right expertise, but I do know that it's certainly more common in the latter part of the 20th century. But then again, early just like, part of the 20th century. No, I don't think cats really start till after the, after the post war. Okay. Okay. To be a real common thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. But as far as house pets, as far as a house pet, actually in the house. Now, there's no doubt we always had barn cats and everything, but it's one of those things where maybe they didn't diagnose schizophrenia as well. Right. You know, so there's some things where there, I'm not exactly sure that there's necessarily, but it definitely does affect rodents so maybe it affects humans and then there are some things that people displaying an infection with toxoplasma also or toxoplasmosis may also have these traits right and i've heard i haven't delved into it deeply that it affects men and women differently but i never have uh dove deep on that but well i
3: heard something the other day that was a speaking of schizophrenia that was a at first i became You know, my normal became defensive and was like, well, that's not right. Then I immediately start Googling it and I'm like, huh, did not know this. Have you ever, are you familiar with the dopamine hypothesis? Uh,
1: Not particularly, but I mean, I'm, I mean, I know about dopamine, but what's the dopamine hypothesis? Is, well, it
3: started out the dopamine hypothesis of schizophrenia, which is that schizophrenia is caused by, you know, rapid increases and decreases. Of dopamine in the brain, which dopamine is your feel good, what neurotransmitter?
1: It's part of the neurotransmitter highway. It's not exactly neurotransmitter, but it locks into those right those sockets, basically. And so that schizophrenia is caused by an and
3: that's where the the great term of the seventies and eighties chemical imbalance, you know, and you know an imbalance of chemicals in the brain. Okay. Well, repeat in this. Started being researched in the, well, I don't know when it started being researched, but finally came to light after 9-11 when, for, well, because of the what we believe how dopamine works, that's where your SSRIs came into play, you know, your Paxil, uh, all your antidepressants that are SSRIs. Okay, uh, so
1: SSRIs or serotonin- Re-uptake.
3: Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor.
1: Right, so it stops; it, it blocks from it coming the serotonin from being uh, reabsorbed and changing. right. It tries
3: to help those chemical imbalances. It tries to help level things off. Well, after nine eleven, lots of folks had some major trauma. You know, PTSD, that kind of stuff. Well, psychiatrists in that area, the the prescription rate of SSRIs really inflated because of doctors treating folks that were involved, you know, in uh, the 9 11 attacks. Well, then a, it got leaked or it came out that the Department of Defense and the AMA had colluded with each other to manipulate some data and that serotonin reuptake inhibitors don't work exactly like we've always been told they did. And that in fact, to treat depression, to treat, well, mainly depression, just counseling works better than medication does, yeah. which I'd always been, been under the impression that counseling and medication together were the best alternative. But the research actually shows that long term medication plays, SSRIs play no role in long term successful uh remission of those symptoms and and when i was first told that this week and of course i was like well that's just bullshit that's not i don't believe that and like i said of course i start googling stuff i'm like damn there's some pretty compelling research out there because then i was like well we know how dopamine works and then it was like well do we yeah now and that's <laughs> that, where
1: i was just about to go because if because you,
3: i mean even i mean through all through college and i mean every biological class i've ever taken where we talked about that kind of stuff you're those chemicals in the brain you're t- okay well this does this and this one helps you do this and this one helps you do this and turns out we're guessing on a we're we're still in
1: the big early portion stages. Of, mm-hmm. big
3: portion of that we're like well we th- Think, you know, all that stuff in the textbook should be prefaced with we think this does right. this. So, and we think this does this.
1: Disclaimer uh, we're not neuroscientists. No, we are not. Not yet. Not yet, anyway. And disclaimer I am not a pharma chemic, chemist, okay? <laughs> but if you ever read uh, about a lot of the psychological drugs mm-hmm. in the Merck manual or any other, you know, place where all that data is at, when you get to the uh, pharmacokinetic section, a lot of times—and this isn't just for the for those drugs—but they can't. It'll literally tell you we're not sure how this actually works. Mm-hmm. You know, we know it works, right? We know that it has this effect, but we don't quite understand the pharmacokinetics of this yet, right? And that's in the actual literature, yeah. And that's one of those things. It's like again, and I don't want to—I don't want to get you back on my ass about climate change. But going back to science, and Professor Brad just literally texted me something about science again. But science, we really are still at the cusp oh, of our absolutely. knowledge of. And of to these me, that's what's so
3: fascinating with science is because it's like the work's never done.
1: No, absolutely not. You know,
3: there. I mean, it's never done. It's, and,
1: and the other thing that fascinates me about science is the chicks. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's, well, that's a given. It's just. Right and left, hot chicks, yeah. science. It goes hand in hand. Right. the
3: uh, Yeah, I was and I was fascinated by that short little read that I did. I was like, huh, I'm, I'm going to look into this more. I haven't
1: seen that. I want to go look at that now because I'm very interested about that.
3: So there we go. Dopamine hypothesis. Look it up.
1: I'm going to look that up because, you know, it's there's a lot to that. Like you talked about, after 9-11, there was a big upsurge people, quote, needing it. But also, you know, we had a big push from big pharma for these drugs in right. the eighties, and that became you know just like back in the sixties, it was mother's little helper of all the the um,
3: amphetamines
1: and well amphetamines, but also all the um, tranquilizers and everything. Yeah, and then you know, now it's the SSRIs, and there's no doubt you know there's some that have su- high suicide rates in certain yeah. populations. We're too early on on yeah. some of these drugs to fully understand. What's the long term implications? I had asked a friend of mine one time, who
3: is a psychologist. I was like, "Explain this to me with the antidepressants that you see advertised." You know, and they say an increased risk of suicide. It's like, isn't that why they're taking it? He said, "If you," he told me, he said, "If you take somebody that is so depressed, I mean, they don't even get out of bed. I mean, they're just in bed for days and weeks on end, and just, I mean, really." Get nothing done with their day, and you give them that, and it makes them feel a little bit better. They're at least then able to get up and accomplish something. And sometimes that suicide, some you know, oh
2: wow, I wasn't thinking that angle. I was thinking more like the medication caused too many swings between high and low. it,
3: It was that you know, the underlying problem is still there, yeah, for them, you know, having suicidal ideation and all that stuff, but at least. The, but the medicine, it, just in that short term, which even these studies I was talking about, talk about in the short term, yes, it does have, and they think mm-hmm. that it does, you know, the research supports that it does have a short term effect. But as far as long term effects, right. no. And, uh, no. And that's what he was telling me. He said, if you take somebody that is just, you know, so depressed that they can't even get out of bed, if you give them something to at least help them get along, get through their day, But that underlying issue still Mm -hmm. isn't treated. At least now they, um, they feel good enough to commit suicide. They can at least get out of bed to do that. Yeah. And so that goes back into that, you know, where the counseling.
2: Yeah.
1: Right.
3: You need both of them anyway. Yeah.
2: Probably to have any success. And big pharma is such big business too. Oh, it's huge. It almost seems like there's like fads. You know, I mean, it's there for a while. It's, It's all antidepressants. And then it's Mm -hmm. it's all dick pills. Right. Right. And then, you know, the huge thing now that actually, you know, the administration, well, overall the administration and in certain states certainly are trying to cut back on are all the chronic pain and opioids and all that because of the ridiculously high overdose rates that we have. I'll tell you one that I was shocked
3: that they calmed down on prescribing as quickly as they did were your benzos, your Ativan's and Xanaxes because... There for a while, those were really popular. Is that
2: because it became also so popular to combine them with other things?
3: I, could be. I don't know. But I mean, but all of a sudden, doctors recognized yeah. really quickly that, hey, this, we need to not loosely prescribe yeah, this stuff. is you know, like they did, like they do pain pills. Like working you know? in the
2: insurance business, we read articles and stuff on abusive uh, medications and how you got to watch when someone that, you wouldn't really think, doesn't really fit the profile to get something like, say Xanax mm-hmm. is getting it because there are things out there, I think it's called the Las Vegas cocktail and you take Xanax and it's like another medication mm-hmm. and something else yeah. and you combine it together and when you take it, it gives you the same feeling as what heroin would. Right, do. right. Yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's drug interactions are
1: insane what can happen. Yeah, and that's, and you that's know, a it's, level
3: of chemistry that I, it, it's is yeah, very intriguing.
1: It's one of those things that, And there are so many drugs and even like, you know, just normal and it's easy for people even under a single doctor's care if they've got this problem and they've got this problem Mm -hmm. and this problem because typically the drugs themselves treat a symptom. Right. And it just stacks up and over time somebody may have a shoebox full of medications Mm -hmm. if they have some type of problem and then it's just like, holy shit, how does this all interact? You know. Exactly.
3: Uh, it's like, I mean, it, I mean, my mom's one sure. with her, you know, chronic health issues. And thank goodness their family doctor is legit enough that, I mean, if he has, I mean, if she has the flu or something, he'll take care of that. But as far as anything else, I mean, cause she has neurologists and all kinds of stuff, you know, you
2: leave them to deal with it. And right. uh, he's
3: legit enough that he's like, I'm not prescribing right. you anything. Said so you need to talk to your neurologist and he said, I don't want, you know, I think there's way, there's too many doctors in yeah. the mix. You I think know? if
2: you want something hydrocodone, Vicodin, whatever, if it's something, especially different situation, but something somebody's hooked on, you can find a doctor. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. Or you can come up with a story and. Oh, absolutely. I think it's more difficult now than maybe it was a decade or so ago. It's, I cer- think they trace it, it's it.
1: certainly much more controlled, um, you know, the pharmacies themselves are under scrutiny and I know that, you know, they have limitations on how much they can prescribe of certain specific formulations and stuff. So it's much more controlled. The doctors are much more controlled. You know, I've when I had those kidney stones, I had to get, you know, hydrocodone and, you know, that's something that I don't like taking. Yeah. Because I don't like not being in control of anything. But the low level stuff doesn't touch it. I had to step up. They gave me at the worst part when we were mm-hmm. at the funeral. Mm-hmm. They gave me a higher dose than I. And I obviously I could have doubled up on True. the pills I had. So, but I didn't. You know, I'm I'm so straight laced. I don't even think about that. But when they doubled me, or I think they gave me like the, the next step up. Holy shit! It was like I was just melting when I took it. Just Thirty minutes later, knocked you in the dirt. I just melted you into just, the you yeah. know and just went to sleep. But again that's the only time I take that and I know those drugs you develop resistance and over mm-hmm. time definitely you know it's like well this is nothing yeah so it's one of those things where you're lucky if you don't ever fall into that but I'm worried that because there's this all this uh, you know scrutiny about this that the people that really do need it yeah are gonna be impacted yeah you the know because that, you know, that's what that's what's tough you know and
3: it's been on the news the last few weeks, this doctor from the 903. Sure. That,
1: I mean, he's under indictment right now for, uh, he's a pain management, pain management doctor. And there aren't many pain management doctors left, and they're the only ones that kind of fit into this world of controlling chronic pain. Yeah. People with back problems right. and things right. like that. So when one of them goes and fucks up like this. Yeah. It just causes hell for all exactly. the good.
3: Ones. I mean, he had what like seven patients overdose or something. Yeah, something crazy. I mean, yeah. bat, which I had in a in a former occupation, I was in charge of the regulatory like federal regulatory like drug testing and stuff. Had sent this guy for a DOT physical. The doctor at the testing facility calls me back, which we had a good relationship with him. He says, I, are you are this guy takes, I said, I know he has some back, and he's an old man, okay. you know, old guy. He said, I know he's got some back issues. I feel sure he takes some painkillers or something. He's like, he's, ta- I mean, and this guy, I mean, was like one of these salt of the earth, mm-hmm. you know, preaches on Sundays at a small right. church kind of guy, you know. He said, he's on some hardcore stuff. I don't feel good Okay, and his, his, D.O.T. Physical, right? I was like, "You're the doc, man. Right? That's that's your call." But he could
2: speak to uh, Scott's point of building up a tolerance. Exactly.
3: That's what he said. He said, "He said he's been on." I said, "Is he taking them like he spoke?" He said, "Yeah." He said, "From every." He said, "I've pulled his prescription." Right. This thing with doctors and now as regulated as it is, they can can pull your prescription information, Mm -hmm. see how often you refill, Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. He goes, he's taking them exactly like he's supposed to be taking them. He's just, he's been taking them for a long time. And and they've bumped him up. I mean, he was like on Oxycontin, you know, some of that hardcore stuff. stuff. Well, part uh, of,
1: part of those drugs is how you take them too.
3: And just, and to look at this fella, you would have never known it. Just, and I'm like, and, and to me, that's awful because you've got a whole generation of these older baby boomers with, chronic pain, mm-hmm. who are now basically heroin addicts. More or less. You know, I mean, they're they're, well, uh, they're I mean, opioid addicts.
2: They're,
1: they're opioid addicts, but at the same time, I think we need to be, and careful is not the right word, we need to make a distinction between addict, between being what you need.
2: I think addict and being dependent is two yeah, different things. Yeah, those are two different
1: things. Like, okay. So if you are you going to call someone that is a diabetic an insulin addict? No. No, okay. Because you're let insulin
3: Independent. Let me tell you this, though. One of my coworkers, he is a recovering heroin addict. I mean, shooting smack right. for a decade, longer than that, 15 years. He's been clean eight years. He took, uh, he didn't go through the, so anyway, this coworker of mine, and we have some really good, because I've never, I mean, I've been around lots of drug addicts in my life, but I've never been around a heroin sure. addict, never been around anybody that's, right admittedly done heroin anything like that he got clean like i said about eight years ago he did he took suboxone is that which is a yeah it blocks the right. pathway and you know you don't get the high that you used to he's and, and you still have withdrawals but not near the withdrawals that you would have just going you know trying to step down or anything and he i asked him one day i, I said well I said, I've never been around a heroin addict. I said, you know, in my mind, I have it pictured like in the movie, you know, when they, you know, take a, you know, do a shot, you know, inject themselves. And they just kind of pass out on right. the... He's like, no. He's like, man, he said, he was in the service industry. He said, uh he said, the only reason I quit is because I couldn't afford it anymore. He said, it was costing me about 200 bucks a day to shoot heroin. He said, I could work 12, 14 hour shifts... Doing heroin, and I was the best freaking employee. You and, that would, goes you to
1: the, and that goes to that tolerance you
3: would ever have. I mean, it eventually built up to yeah. that. He said, It doesn't, he said, He said, There's, he said, To my knowledge, there's not a good Hollywood depiction of an actual heroin user. He said, It's not, he's like, No, it's not. He said, In my opinion, and he kind of laughed, he said, Which I have a way different opinion. He said, The way you treat, he said, The reason I quit is because it was so expensive. And because of the legal ramifications that I was worried about. He said, in my opinion, if you want to treat, uh, heroin addicts, you do it like some European countries do and you have good government certified heroin that you know what you're getting. You go and you have your, you have your medication that this is what you use for the day and that when it needs to be stepped up, the doctor steps it up for you and all that. He said, he said, I could function perfectly on it you know he said i never he said i never had legal issues i was like dude that just i said but what about he's like the problems are the socioeconomic problems of where you have to buy it Mm -hmm. the procurement he said you never know what's in it right he said plus the needles getting clean needles Mm -hmm. he said that's that's a hassle he said but as far as like being a he said, No, I'll be honest with you, if I couldn't come up with two hundred bucks, hell yeah, I'm gonna steal some shit to get the two hundred bucks. He said that's he said, but as far as like uh looking like a dope head, he right. said, you know, he said I was I was a lot skinnier than I am now. He said, but it was you know, said I didn't really feel like eating and I worked all the time. Mm-hmm. He said I was never at a he said for like the first six months that I did it, you would have that high effect. He said, but then he said, and that's the crux of it is after that six months of yeah. doing it regularly then you got to do it just, just to, feel worth yeah. shit
1: because you get yeah. dope sick i mean that's yeah. what they call it
3: yeah he said then you got to do it just to feel worth the shit he said so then it was just so it, constantly having to do a little bit more to which i mean that's the same way pain management clinics kind
2: of went from addiction to dependency yeah exactly yeah. And, and that's it that's was,
1: that's the thing with
2: opioids in
1: general is it doesn't matter You know, what part of the scale it is on, it becomes a, you literally physically get sick from it. It's not like, you know, somebody could quit marijuana, somebody could quit hallucinogens. They're, they're not going to be sick from any of those. But the opiates, that's just what it is. It, it, you literally, and you know, you get, you throw up, you feel like hell, fever, chills. It's a, it's a literal sickness, just like alcohol. Yeah. You know, people, alcohol uh, and,
3: Physically get ill from the DTs. Which, if I'm not mistaken, because opiate with, withdrawals won't kill you. They'll make you feel like shit. I'm thinking that alcohol and alcohol, benzos.
1: Alcohol can kill you. I don't yeah. know as much about benzo withdrawals. I'm
3: thinking benzos can kill you as well. alcohol, I know alcohol definitely can. can. In fact,
1: yeah. some pharmacies, and I don't know if it's all hospital pharmacies, but some ph- pharmacies, you know, they actually, the doctor can prescribe a small dose of alcohol. That's I was fixing to get to this. My
3: mother-in-law, I mean, her whole career was spent in the medical field as a nurse. And she's told me, you know, in the 60s when she worked at uh, Methodist Dallas, said they kept six packs of, I think she said Lone Star or something like something just cheap, yeah. just something cheap, kept it in the refrigerator and folks that came in that were, sure enough, alcoholics right. that were they were going to try to dry out. I mean, they kept it in there for them to just kind of gradually right. wean them off of it because you you, know, you don't want to go cold turkey
1: with I, a severe I, alcoholic. I think know? our beloved town's Van Zandt died from alcohol withdrawal symptoms. Really? Is that what killed I, him? I think so. I'd have to go double check. Huh. But, I mean, it, it wasn't I, just that. There were right, other things right, going on. Right. And if you get to that point... Your body's already shot. There's multiple yeah. things. That if you get are, to that point, you're,
3: if that doesn't kill you, your liver is going to go next. Is you know. starting
2: to shut down.
1: Yeah, but it's certainly cut going cold turkey can certainly exacerbate and you know which
2: quicken- which I'm
3: I'm thinking benzos are the same. If you have a, uh, I, I could be completely wrong on that, but I've heard benzo withdrawals are bad, 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 bad.
1: Yeah, I'm not as familiar with that. Yeah. Boy, we got serious this episode. Yeah, Good. I like that.
2: Everybody send it, in your favorite.
1: I, I enjoy our serious episodes. Yeah. I don't want to do too many of them. You know, I like us having, you know, fun.
3: Right. But well, this is fun.
1: Good conversation. It is. Some of our serious episodes have been some of our highest rated. Right. And then some have not. Yeah.
2: You know. Everybody send in your favorite addiction and dependency story. Right.
1: I'm sure, you know, I, I don't think, and, you know, the opioid... Crackdown came under the last administration. Mm. I don't think it was the right direction.
3: Yeah. It's, I mean, that's, I don't know how you go about fixing I don't either. I, fixing it. I mean, and it, again, it, it's going to come down to exactly what our last episode was about. How much public funds. It's been a couple episodes, but yeah. Uh, right. The, uh, how much money, how much government money are we willing to sink into a problem? That's what it's going to take. Yeah. Is money. Yeah. But how much do you sink in before you start seeing a return on that investment? Right, right. And I heard this was months ago. I've been mean, last year on NPR. They were uh, interviewing this guy who was—I can't remember what his book was—but he was a uh,
1: Arredondo. Uh,
3: he was, was not Arredondo. <laughs> it wasn't Professor Brad on NPR? Was not Professor Brad
1: opioid because he was NPR on, he was but, on uh, NPR. He
3: was—he was talking about how we treat opioid addiction the wrong way. And uh he's like, you know, inherently opioids aren't as addictive as we like to think they are. He said if that were so, everybody that's gone in for a major surgery
2: that ever gets on them wouldn't be able it'd be like, it would be like heroin.
3: He said everybody that's gone in for a major surgery that's been put under anesthesia that's had morphine, That's he said when they got out of the hospital, he said even if you're on morphine for a few days in the hospital right. he said when you come out, you're not craving morphine you're right. not craving opioids and he was getting back to the part of i mean he wasn't denying the the end result of right. what we just talked about opioids did but he was saying you know it can be fixed before it gets to that point through and he was bringing in you know psychotherapy counseling that kind of stuff he's like you know all and hit, and i don't know if i i guess i kind of agree with this in his opinion all addictions stemmed from some type of mental illness whether it was depression you know self-medicating for depression self-medicating for anxiety self-medicate you know you're bipolar but you don't like the way your meds make you feel so you smoke weed and you do you know or you drink and do that and he said you know there's he said in and of itself he said it's not one of those drugs you do once and you're hooked you know it takes a period of time like that friend of mine was saying uh I asked him, I said, was there any point in time that you think you could have just quit? He said, within the first six to eight months, I could have quit. And I said, how often were you doing it then? And he's like, oh, I was doing it every day. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I was like,
1: damn.
2: Now, you know? I
1: wonder, and to that point, and to the episode we had a couple of weeks back where we talked about genetics and free will, I wonder about how much, and again, I don't think we know everything that we think we know yet. Some people seem to be more, have a higher proclivity to addiction. Right. And to your point there about underlying issues, but I just wonder if we have an inherent biochemistry that would be genetic that makes some people more likely to be addicted to certain substances. Yes,
3: I, I think that. I think I, I don't think that's like we said in that episode, I don't think it's a you know, end all be all. Right. But I think it does give you the opportunity to be more susceptible. And again it goes down to okay, say you grew up in in a home. You know, with an alcoholic father or an alcoholic mother, are your chances of being an alcoholic elevated? Yes, they are. Okay, was that genetic or is that because of the nurturing yeah. that you got in that home, or is it a mixture of the two? That's those. Or thing. is it a mixture of the two? But then again, you go, okay, because th- right then we were just talking about alcoholism, but take out alcoholism, say, okay, you grew up in a home where your father was abusive to you and your mother. We know matter of factly that your chances of being abusive are elevated as well. Is that genetic? I don't know. It could be, or is it environment? Right. I think it's probably a combination of both. I do too.
1: And I I think a lot of times, I I think that, and we off air earlier this evening, we had a, a, somebody made a comment about, you know, the binary outlook. And I think naturally as humans, we always seek that binary outlook. We rarely ever, Look for, you know, talking going back to genetics, multiple expressions, you know, where there's multiple factors, but they only apply to this thing. Whereas, you know, your eye color that's very specific, right? Your blood type is very specific, it's very simple genetic, but then your skin tone that has multiple expressions from multiple genes that Mm -hmm. are affecting that, and we just naturally gravitate to this black and white binary right. s- uh, solution to things, and hardly anything in this world is that way. Right. And that's not a cop-out, but I just think, again, going back to we don't know as much as we know. Yeah. We we haven't gotten to a point as a society, maybe we never will, of intellectual honesty where we can step back and say, let's work on this aspect without coming down on all these other aspects. Right, And I I... I you know, well, because
3: in the way our society works, for us to get behind something, to motivate an issue, there has to be a bad guy in it. There has to be, okay, we've got this positive. Okay, well, what, how are we going to rally behind this positive? Well, there has to be a negative. And so, and, and that's human nature, if there is such a thing as human nature.
2: There also needs to be the quickest fix possible, which is the, I think the downfall of your idea of, Say depression that we need. There's medication. There's counseling, also yeah. long-term counseling. Right. A lot of people don't want. It. Well, no. I mean, exactly. Your desperate cases, we'll probably just do whatever. But a lot right. of people just want pain, depression, whatever. Yeah. Fix me the it pill.
3: now.
1: Well, just give and, me the pill. and you know, and also there's there's the cost of counseling. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is not cheap. That's
3: not cheap. There
1: is the time impact to it. Yep. Because even if you've got insurance that would pay for it, you've got to take off work to go to counseling because yep. most counselors aren't open after five o'clock. Right. And there's the natural stigma of, oh, I have to go to counseling. Right. Yeah. You try to get somebody to go to counseling. Yep. Just try. Absolutely. And that's like pushing, pushing a mule up a hill. Yeah. And all of those factors come into play, let alone the, I don't need that and everything else. You know, it's there's no easy answer to this one. But yeah, because you can take a pill in private. Yeah. You know? And for a lot cheaper,
3: Some pills in are most your cases. Sure.
1: Most cases. Less Not than really. one sen- one counseling session, a whole month's supply of. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, absolutely. So it's I don't know. I don't have any. I don't have any answers to it. I just don't think that our current approach is working. No, actually, it may be working as far as the goal to your point of the boogeyman of opioid addiction, but I don't think it's helping society in general. Yeah, because I, I, I do worry about people with chronic pain. People with a legitimate need where it becomes difficult to get a prescription for what they need because we're worried about some dummy that wants to crush up oxy. Right. Snort
2: it off in yeah. the toilet.
1: Because these drugs, if you take an oxy pill by itself, yeah, it can mess you up if you again I think the biochemistry of that particular mm-hmm. person. But if you take it as described and prescribed, I think it's gonna do the job and it's gonna work. Yeah. But if you're using this, you know, crushing it up and snorting it, well, shit, right. I can take anything and take it by that way. It's probably not going to work the same way that a time exactly. release pill is going to work.
3: Right. I so. mean, and it's one of those, I mean, and I've always been of the thought, you know, especially with, with, uh, painkillers, if, if you can feel a altered state from it, it's probably a little too much. It should be an altered state of euphoria, I should say. Because it should be just enough to block those receptors right. to block that pain.
1: Well, it's like when I was talking about when I had to go up to the next level, right. it was too much for me. Yeah, as exactly. Far as it wasn't what I wanted because I couldn't function. I couldn't do right. it. But, you know, again. And did you try breaking it up and snorting it? I, I did not try breaking it. I did try to cram it up my pee hole. Oh. Right.
2: <laughs> Didn't work. You took my question away.
1: I need to tell I got a, I got a, a pee hole story for you off there. I'll tell you.
2: Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: All right. Well, so
2: we, it, so we didn't solve depression. We
1: have not solved depression. Ah, we we have not we have not solved have not, the opioid uh not crisis. chronic pain management. We haven't done anything.
3: Anxiety, nothing.
1: And I'm not wear- willing to share this story about somebody that I know about from the from the 580 area code in the PO. So
3: Oh, I don't think I've ever heard this. I'm
1: going to tell you in a minute. Okay. All right. Well, email us your stories about all this nonsense or your solutions to Pod at gmail.com and I guess we'll talk to you later. Adios.
2: Bye. Sometimes you get kind of a dead response like at the bitter end. A lot of those people that come in there are like tourists you know they just want to see the bitter end. Yeah.
0: But then there are some other more typical post-MI patients. They may be in good shape physically, but emotionally they're too tense and apprehensive even to return to work, let alone run 26 miles. In such cases, when excessive anxiety and tension are interfering with rehabilitative efforts, Valium, diazepam, can help the transition back to work, back to a more normal life. Valium works promptly to relieve excessive anxiety and apprehension, Side effects other than drowsiness, fatigue, and ataxia are rarely encountered. Within days, the typical patient feels significantly calmer, better able to cope with his condition, more open to rehabilitative measures. Patients taking Valium should be cautioned against driving, drinking, or operating dangerous machinery. As anxiety diminishes, so do secondary depressive symptoms in the psychoneurotic patient the patient finds it easier to feel hopeful about the future. Valium. For the response you know, want, and trust. And world-class championship wrestling. I'm Bill Mercer with Jay Salady. Good night from Dallas, Texas.